0: Welcome back to We Gotta Talk About. This week, we have a very special guest, Odalis Jasmine. We will be diving into the topics of Latinidad and the N-word. So for our first segment, we have Odalis Jasmine from Hello Latino Podcasts. Odalis Jasmine is a proud first-generation Honduran cataracha. She brands herself as a Latina storyteller because of her work with amplifying the community's voices. From 9 to 5, she's a communications professional overseeing content and a storytelling coach hosting personal branding workshop for student organizations. Odalis Jasmine also created and hosts *Hello Latino, a podcast for Latinos to tell their immigration or first-gen story and share their unique experience navigating Latinidad in the United States. So let's dive into Latinidad with Odalis Jasmine. All right, welcome back to We Gotta Talk About. We have a very exciting guest today um, in honor of Latinx Heritage Month. We have Odalis Jasmine from Hello Latino Podcast. Um, we all attended San Jose State, um, but didn't really know each other, I guess. Um, and now we're just crossing paths later
1: in life due to the podcast yeah. business. Um, we're so excited to have you, Jasmine. I'm excited to be here. here. I, I love that this podcast has brought me closer to like some people. I'm like, I why haven't we been friends before? Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being invited to be a part of it.
0: And so tell us a little bit about your podcast because, you know, maybe not everybody knows about you. We may have some mutual followers, but just uh, uh, give us a
1: little summary. So the whole podcast is dedicated to the Latino community. Specifically, I... I think it's shifting now, but my my initial intent was to focus on the immigrant and first generation community only because I feel like there's certain things that we go through that is a little different from second generation or third generation, right? There's Mm -hmm. the being part of immigrant culture, whether you are an immigrant yourself or your family your, family, your whole family are immigrants. You know, it's a different type of mentality, a different type of experience. And so my focus was and still is the first generation and immigrant community for Latinos. And then we talk about we talk about all of it. We talk about we wrap our countries where we're from. We talk about what it's like to navigate Latinidad in, in the United States. And what I'm trying to do with this podcast is paint a picture for people who might may not know this is what first generation. Immigrants, Latinos go through, but also represent all of all of Latinos. Right? When you think of Latino, you probably have a certain person in mind, like maybe something like me. You know, I'm like fair skinned, straight hair, the dark features. So they're like, "Oh, you look Latina." But I'm like, there's also a big Japanese influence in Peru. Do people know that? Probably not. So yeah, there is Japanese Latinos. There are a lot of Afro Latinos. African is in our DNA right as Latinos there is everyone knows there's Spanish in us like we don't need to keep talking about (laughs) but there's there's Jewish in us too the Jewish diaspora like there's a lot to the identity of Latinos and it's all because of our oppressors right when Mm -hmm. we think back to where we came from our ancestors the indigenous side of us there's a lot there's a lot that comes into play. And I know we're going to talk about this, but the word Latino is very controversial, right? And there's so many other terms that people place on us, Hispanic, Latinx, Latino, Latina, literally the list goes on. But yeah, I mean, going back to the podcast, it really just highlighting stories, highlighting our community, highlighting our voices. And it all started because I was like, no one ever really asked me what my story was. And I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> like mm-hmm. If someone asked me, tell me about yourself. I'm like, um, Jasmine. Um, <laughs> and this not, you know, I just very basic, but when I really dug deep and this all goes back to some, some shit that went down in my life where I really had to take a step back and go into who I was as a person and really like rediscover myself basically. And I'm still in that process. It's like all self-love, personal growth. It's all those things but it's really owning who you are, your identity. And when I really thought about it, my identity is so close to my roots, my culture, being Hondureña, being a Catracha. And so I was really just in that mindset of what is my story? I want to learn more about my parents, where we come from, and realizing there's so much more to me than just, I'm an American. Like, what Mm -hmm. does that even mean? I don't even think of myself as an American. (laughs) So it's (laughs) just kind of like, again, it's just the identity, right? That we're all trying to figure out. And so this podcast is really just highlighting real stories from real people, like everywhere all over the U S from the, representing different countries. Like it's really just a platform for people to feel heard and feel seen.
0: I love that. Um, and I, Long have segue. I'm so sorry. No, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're passionate about it and like you care about your podcast and there's so many different parts of identity and navigating, being first generation or being an immigrant and being part of the latinx community yeah. and i love a the dominican representation that you have on there because there's
1: a lot girl you have a lot of dominican guests and, and every and time there's I'm more there's guess. more coming there's more coming i'm like, really i have one i have on friday with a dominican woman she's freaking amazing. Like every, every one of them, they're all amazing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really surprised. I'm like these Dominicans, man, they've been on my podcast.
0: (laughs) I love it because we literally have no representation in the Caribbean and like you're from Central America and Central America also doesn't have representation. So we're like from two of the groups that are the least represented when it comes to Latinidad. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, for (laughs) sure. That is, that is so true. I mean, Well, I can't tell you how many times people have told me you're my first and only Honduran friend. And I'm like, it makes me happy. But I'm also really sad about that. I'm like, dang, you're missing out. It's awesome. But it's like, okay, now I have to like represent my
0: whole culture for you because you don't know anything about us. And that's difficult. I only know like of Garifunas. I didn't know that like Catra was yeah, mm-hmm. like I didn't know that that was like a different. They gave name us punta,
1: and- they gave us a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, Garifuna is a beautiful for people who don't know. It's um the the black community in Honduras and they live on the islands. So they're they're Caribbean, right? Mm-hmm. So they have um they speak English, they speak Spanish and they speak their own dialect. And I love it they gave us punta punta is a dance that hondureños dance and it's like so my family's from la costa norte which is closer to the the caribbean okay so if you ask someone from like the capital like tegus it's probably a different story but like we eat like caribbeans we eat Mm -hmm. like yuca and and you know tortillas de cassava, you know like we eat all these things that a lot of caribbean folks eat and like it's just really cool But I've heard so many stories of garifuna. It's a big, it's like, if you are from Honduras, you know about them. Because they are like a representation of the culture, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. The episode, I'm like, I'm getting more and more educated, which is another thing I love about it, right? I'm like, dang, I didn't know all these things. (laughs) Even
0: with me and Caitlin, like we just learned so much about each other and our cultures and like our families and stuff. And we've known each other for years and we have very similar backgrounds when it comes to just growing up, but the culture is still very different, you know?
2: So different. And it's interesting too, because I just feel like all three of our backgrounds are starting, I think representations becoming so important that we're finally being talked about and like seen mm-hmm. in different areas. So it's like, this is the perfect time finally for yeah. women, especially of color that I feel like everybody's like getting their time now. Finally, well, hopefully, we can keep <laughs> that going, and hopefully, this is a good stepping stone too. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So, for our listeners, if you don't hear me talking, it's because I'm really sitting back and just learning with you guys as well. I know I'll have questions for them, but I really want to allow them to just have this space to just serve us some facts and information. So, get it, girls. Yeah. yeah
0: so we got to talk about Latina this week. So the reason why I want to talk about this is because there's been like a lot of discourse around the term Latinx and around Latinidad there's also a lot of discourse around Latinidad and like what's happening at the border all of these things are kind of like interconnected right so the use of Latinidad is really an uplifting of this idea of mestizaje for a lot of people like that's what they think of when they think of Latinx is like um, someone who is like Jasmine said earlier you know kind of lighter skin, dark, straight hair, darker features. That's kind of like the picture that they paint. And so they're erasing a lot of indigenous and Black people in Latin America from this narrative, even at the border. 30% of the people at the border are actually Haitian immigrants, um, which a lot of people don't know or acknowledge because... Black people are erased everywhere, including in Latin America, right? And so it's just a way to start conversations around some of the more underrepresented groups is to really question, like, what is this identity of Latinidad? And who does it really serve? For a lot of us, um, people like me who are brown, who are mixed with other things, who are mixed with Black Caribbean that are not Spanish-speaking, who are mixed with South Asian, or people who are, like you were saying, um, Japanese, Chileans, and Peruvians. Those people aren't represented in this idea of Latinidad. So Mm -hmm. this is going to be a very heavy topic for a lot of people because people aren't used to being questioned in their Latinx identity when they are white and fair-skinned and speak Spanish, which also a lot of people in Latin America don't even speak Spanish. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of indigenous languages there. There's things like patois and creole, which are still Latin-based languages in a way that are not represented. Before we start, I just want to say that the perspective that we're bringing about Latinidad is from Central America and the Spanish-speaking Caribbean. And we can only really speak from our own perspective. So this is just going to be kind of centralized to those two regions because that's where we're from. And we also don't speak for people who live in Latin America. Um, We are speaking as people with hyphenated identities. We are The children of immigrants. And so our perspective is from an American Latinx perspective. So I just want to say that before we begin. And so my first question is, do you identify as Latinx? Do you use um, like Latinx with the X, the gender neutral form? um, And why do you feel that that's a term that you can use to identify?
1: You know what's so interesting, just going back to the topic of identity in, in Latin America, it's, it's very interesting to me because I start every single episode um, on my podcast with how do you identify and why? And the reason for that is because I feel like what happens a lot with Latinos is this term emerges and then it's just automatically placed on everyone, mm-hmm. right? And so we just say, well, everyone's Latino or everyone's Latinx or everyone's Hispanic. And we don't give people an opportunity to take themselves out of that box and say, well, this is how I identify, and this is why. And so, going back to that question, I actually don't identify as Latinx. I identify as Latina, more specifically, Catracha Honduran. And so, it's it's interesting to me because this has been a topic that's been on my mind a lot because I I do have a lot of I would like to consider myself as very progressive, right? But it's only real when I know what I'm what I'm progressing toward. And this is a topic that. I had actually covered with someone on my podcast because she kind of felt the same way, but it's it's a challenging topic for me because Latinx is a very it was created in the United States, mm-hmm. and so when I think about it, I'm like, oh, is this another form of you know an Anglicized term that's being placed on Latin America? Exactly. Um, and I feel very uncomfortable with it because I'm like, my family will never in Honduras; they'd never say Latinx. <laughs> you right yeah and it also excludes places like brazil because their language is different they speak portuguese and so there's a lot of uncomfortability with that word or discomfort i guess is the word there's a lot of discomfort with it but i don't you know i don't diss it you know i'm like if people want to identify as latinx i'm i will respect you and i will call you latinx but personally no i don't identify as it as latinx Interesting. I hear
0: people use the term Latine as well with the E. Yeah. I think that's a little more inclusive of Portuguese, I believe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's very interesting, the discourse around the term Latinx, because even just like calling yourselves Latinos and Latinas, like that's not a thing that they do in Latin America. People identify Mm -hmm. by their country of origin or if they're indigenous by their tribe. And so it's Mm -hmm. really interesting how it's been kind of coined and used in the U.S. because... These, like language is important and right. language has been used to oppress people. And so part of the reason why so many people kind of fight this narrative of, you know, the Spanish influence and the European influence is because the language is, you know, not gender neutral. The language is very much like female or male. It's very binary. And so it's very interesting to me, this kind of language around the term at all. Um, I identify as Caribbean. I don't identify as Latino or Latina at all. And I, I think that a lot of that has to do with being in San Diego and you grew up in San Diego as well. So I'm wondering how your experience has been with that people, um, like black Americans. And there are some Panamanians and some Caribbeans here as well in the area that I live in. They always were like, Oh yeah. You know, like you're Dominican. We know where you're from. You're one of ours. Right. Um, and Mexicans were always like, you're not really Latino. I don't speak Spanish the way they speak. Uh, My culture is not the same as theirs. And Mm -hmm. so it's like this idea of what is the common shared identity that we even have? Because we don't really have one. So what's been your experience kind of like growing up in San Diego and not being of this majority group of Latinos, even though you look like you said, like what people would imagine a Latina to look like?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting to give people perspective. San Diego is very heavily Mexican, right? There's a big Mexican culture, I think, in a lot of California areas. Mm-hmm. But it feels like because San Diego and Mexico share a border that it's more so heavy in in San Diego, um, which did kind of like it was just interesting for me growing up because, yeah, I do look like a typical Latina, right, what you would see in the media, but I've gotten this so many times. I'm really tall. I'm five nine and I'm also very curvy. So people are like, Oh, you look really like different for being Latina. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're tall. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like Latinos are tall too. (laughs) And they see my brothers. I'm like, my brothers are above six foot. I'm like, there's tall Latinos. And you like have no idea how many times I've throughout my entire life. Like, Oh, you're tall for now. You're tall for, you know? And I was like, yeah, so interesting. So I can't even imagine being a different skin tone or having different hair or having like different features that don't look like Latina. And it's it's something that I like think about a lot. I'm like this, the term Latino, Latina has been identified for us in the mm-hmm. media and the way people portray it and the way that it was created. And one thing that I've seen, you know, going back to like common shared identity, I always feel that I'm like, that's probably why there's a lot of nationalism in Latin America, right? It's like, Like, no one goes as hard as Puerto Ricans, but like Puerto Rican, Boricua, Mm -hmm. um, or like, you know, Mexican, and like, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of nationalism in it. But for the countries that are smaller, like Honduras represent, it's not really, it's not really a thing, you know, like, our, my family's hella proud to be Honduran, obviously, but There's not enough of us here (laughs) to be like, yeah, like start a whole rally like Mexicans can. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always love that about Mexican culture, though. I'm like, oh, they're so like proud, you know, and there's so many of them and they can just really rally. (laughs) and It's really cool. But for me, it really kind of like it was interesting for me growing up because they, they would say, I say things funny, but I don't say it funny. I just have a hundred and accent. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't say tu, I say vos, you know, with vosotros. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's like little differences in like the way we speak that they would always be like, Oh, you sound so funny or you sound so different or you say that weird, or that's not what that means. And I'm like, (laughs) and there was always a lot of question around why do I, why, you know, why do I sound different? Why do I like, act different? Why do I say different things? Why do I eat different foods? Like I'm eating platano while they're eating, you know, like spicy stuff. There was a lot of that. And I think when you're around so much of another culture, you start to question your own identity because you're like, what am I like? How do I fit into all this? You know? And I think that's why I always struggled with identity. I always struggled with, with being, you know, having going into groups of like, like Medchar going into these different spaces because it was always like Chicano Pride, and I'm like, I'm not a chicana, you know, and like yeah. there was always so many spaces where I'm like, I want to be there because that's where like my Latin people are. But when I would go into the space, I didn't feel like it was for me. There's even in Latino America, even in Latino culture identity, there's a lot of really big differences, like heavy differences. Mm-hmm. But I also I need to preface this because in San Diego. I grew up. My whole family was there. My tías, my oh, tios, okay. my cousins. So I grew up with a lot of Hondurans, but I also grew up in a majority like Hispanic community. And I'm saying Hispanic because that's what they would say, right? Hispanos. But I grew up in a really like seventy percent of us were all like Latinos. And then we were all like people of color. So there was like a heavy, you know, black influence and Cambodian and Laos. And like, there was a lot of really beautiful cultures around me, but we stuck with our own, right? Quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. Like I grew up with a lot of different Latino diversity. Now I didn't question it when I was younger because I was, we were all speaking Spanish. Like to me, it was all normal. Mm -hmm. But when I would go out of that and like go into school My school was primarily Mexican. And now I challenge myself. I'm like, what if I'm the one that was like, everyone's Mexican here, but there was probably another Salvadorian. There was probably another Caribbean, you know, like, I I don't know, but I had that assumption of people because people had that assumption of me. And so it's really interesting. It's like this whole psychoanalysis, right? Like we're so conditioned to do something because that was our reality. And so we like tend to continue that cycle. But my goal right now is to redefine what Latinidad means and really show the mosaic of all of our beauty and differences because it's true. And I mean, I think the one thing that connects us is coming to this country mm-hmm. and, and facing these challenges kind of together. Yeah.
0: And I, and I like that you said that you're challenging your own perception because I think that even for myself, I have been, the area that I grew up in, in San Diego is definitely very different from where you are. Yeah. It's very white and very Asian. And so even though I am half Asian, I never really fit into that space either. Yeah. But it was always like a challenge because the few Latinos who were in this area were Mexican. And so I also always assumed I don't belong in that space. And those people will not accept me because Mexicans have never done so. And it's so Mm -hmm. funny because just recently I posted like Sancocho on my story and I was like, I'm sorry if you're not Caribbean because our (laughs) soups are bomb. Um, And they responded to me and were like, oh yeah, you know, I'm actually like Jamaican and from Barbados and Grenada and Panama. And I never knew this, just didn't even know that this was (laughs) – like what they were mixed with. And they were like, yeah, you know, people always just think that I'm like a light-skinned Black person, but I'm actually Caribbean and Panamanian. And I was like, yo, Mm -hmm. you see what I mean? Like we just assume these things about each other without asking, especially when you grow up like conditioned to exclude yourself from the group already.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And I just to add on to that, like with this pod, I'm like learning so much about – where in the U S people are raised and how that Mm -hmm. plays a role. Right. So like someone was saying, I had a Dominican guy and he was born in Massachusetts and he's like, people know, like they would see me and be like, Oh, you're Dominican or you're Caribbean. Um, but he's like, when I came to San Francisco to California, everyone was like, you're a light skin. And he's like, um, I guess, but like, <laughs> there's like, I'm Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of, it was interesting and eye opener for me. Cause I'm like, what, like, what would have our reality realities look like if we were in the East coast or, you know, new Orleans actually has a huge Honduran population. And so what if I was, you know, raised in new Orleans around mm-hmm. hella Hondurans. And like, yeah. again, it's like, our realities are really shaped by our environment. And like, who are you growing up with? And who are you around? I still, to this day, don't feel welcome in certain Latino spaces because they all share one culture. And I'm just like, what's up, Honduran over here, you know? (laughs) And there's a a story I want to tell you real quick, because I used to be on the board for Associated Students. And there was this guy who, amazing, he was our president, Hector. He had an idea to create these success centers for undocumented and Latinos and for the black community. And so he like had this idea and he was like, I'm gonna do it. And I challenged him because he wanted to name the undocumented Latin, you know, Latino Center, the Chica Next Undocumented Center. <laughs> Yikes. And I was like, so. No, um, <laughs> because we don't, I don't identify as Chicana. So that's already excluding most of Latin America because you're only serving Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And there was a heavy discussion around that. They're like, well, no, like if you're in the United States, you're Chicano. And I'm like, ask anyone who's not Mexican and they will not identify as Chicano. And it well, was a also isn't question. Chicanx
0: like a term for Mexican Americans, not immigrants.
1: yes. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot to it. Right. And I remember being, I felt so unheard and like, it wasn't his fault. Like he wasn't trying to be like, no Mexicans only. Like he just didn't know because his reality, he is Mexican. He is Chicano. Right. So I'm like trying to educate him. I'm like, excluding a lot of people, like including myself, you know? And so again, it's like really interesting because I don't think one, we're even educated on our own, our own culture and all the freaking terms that we have in, in our, in our society, right? Like, Oh, they're Chicanos or this or that. And I, you know, sometimes I have to flip the narrative on myself and I'm like, you know, like sometimes I have my biases and like having, you know, a Vietnamese friend and she's explained to me, I'm like, no, like she's like, no, not everyone's Asian or not everyone's Chinese, you know, as people always think. And she educates me on all these different groups within Asia, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, there's Cambodian, there's Laos, there's this, there's that. And so I think it happens with a lot of groups. And I think when people come to this country, it's like where, what box can I fit them all in? Yeah. Right. And when you think of Latino, that's what it is. It's a whole box of all these different cultures from Latin America, including Mexico to Central America, to South America, to the Caribbean. And sometimes it's like, cool, like we're united and it makes you feel like you're part of something. But at the same time, like you said, it excludes a lot of people because it doesn't look one way. mm mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, and it starts with knowing our history and knowing our roots and realizing that we are, we are just, we're packages of these different things, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and I also like when it comes to identity and having to educate people, I always have to like challenge Latinos when it comes to race as well and remind them Mm -hmm. like there are indigenous tribes who have been fighting for their indigeneity since the Spaniards came and are still doing that and are still right. speaking their native tongue. Right. And there's Black people who have been Black. Their whole family's Black. They're mm-hmm. Blackity, Black, Black. And they just
1: live <laughs> in a Latin American country. Well, look country. at Garifuna, right? Yeah. has the best example. It's like they've remained in their culture and they remain Black. And I'm like, it. there's everything in Latin America. It's not mm-hmm. just like a certain look. And it's definitely a challenge. Sometimes, oh my god, this is so funny because I just thought of I thought about this like the other day with my mom because she's like, "Remember, you used to hate going into Northgate. Northgate, you know what Northgate is? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like a, I mean, not really a Latino store. It's more like Mexican serving, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's a Mexican like market. And my mom would always go there to get stuff. And she told me she's like, "Used to hate going in there because you're like, I'm just so tall compared to everyone." And like, I would feel out of place or I would stick out like a sore thumb because I always wear like booties too. But like when mm-hmm. I was younger, I was just tall. I was just a tall little girl. Yeah. Like I was always tall. <laughs> so she's like, girl, you hated going in there. And I, again, I would always feel like, oh, everyone's like shorter than me. And like, and then I'd see someone tall, I'd be like, yes, there's a tall person. But I mean, there's tall Mexicans too, but I'm just saying like the majority of people think of me and they're like, she looks different or she looks a certain way that I'm like not used to. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think again it's just really interesting, right? To think about we all come in different shapes, bodies, and we all come in different colors and different backgrounds, different cultures. And yes, we are either a part of Latino or whatever you identify as, but that's what Latinos look like. It's not it's not what you see in the media. It's not mm-hmm. Sofia Vergara. It's not like, you know, like Penelope Cruz at her name, like it's not these people. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting to like navigate your identity um, when you aren't represented and you don't, I mean, yeah. how, do you how, ever how? see Hondurans like anywhere? I mean, nope. <laughs> no. I don't ever see Dominicans anywhere. The first Dominican I saw like in a uh, American show was in Hentified. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. that was the first person that I was like, oh, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, I, I knew her before she was on that show. And I was like, finally, like a Dominican is on Netflix.
1: And there's so many Spanish shows and there's none of us. Exactly. And it's one thing to have your, your culture represented. And it's another thing for them in the show and the movie, wherever they are to represent the culture, Mm -hmm. right? Because there is the Honduran actress that people know about, but no one knows she's Honduran because she doesn't rep her culture. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen Sister Heard of the Traveling Pants, America Ferreira, she's Honduran, Honduran-American, but when has she ever repped being Honduran-American? And that's Never. another thing that I, I question too. I'm like, why isn't there a sense of pride in, in where certain Central American countries, where they come from? Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen a couple times. Like there's another actress who I think is in... Oh, man, I don't remember. But I would listen to Con Todo, which is a, a Spanish podcast. Yeah. Rasha Polanco, another Dominican woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was interviewing this Honduran actress who's like, up and coming or, or whatnot. And literally throughout the whole podcast, she's, like, with another person. And he's, like, repping where he's from. He's, like, I think he was Cuban. He was, like, yeah, like, go on all the way. Oh, Caribbeans go hard. We go so hard. Yeah, you... Y'all like y'all inspire me, but, (laughs) but this girl was not talking about where she came from. And so Dasha Polanco had to ask her, like, where are you from? And she's like, Oh, I'm from Honduras. And I'm like, I was so mad. I was like, girl, rep, rep, like represent your people. Like, cause people like me are probably listening who are Honduran and are like waiting, right? Like, Mm -hmm. when am I going to hear another Honduran on here? Um, and so I think like for a long time growing up, I always waited for people to, I always waited to feel represented, right? I'm like, when is there a Honduran going to come on? And then I got to a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be that person because I can't be waiting around my whole life (laughs) for this Honduran representation. So I had to get up and like do something. I'm like, people need to know again, like not just my culture, but of all these other groups that are not represented, of all these other stories that are not heard, all these other voices who are not usually you know amplified so Mm -hmm. that's again been my goal throughout what I'm doing right now has been that because of my feel for lack of representation and I'm like always so I'm not really surprised but I'm just kind of like whoa like we all feel that yeah (laughs) like all of us and we all have different experiences with it too right like I need to check I need to own that I do have privilege because I am a lighter skin Latina and Mm -hmm. I do have you know, I do look like that typical Latina. If you see me stand up, you'll probably be like, what? (laughs) But um, I am, again, it's like, I do know that I have privilege in that sense. But again, it's it's amazing to learn from the community and to learn from people who are different, who grew up in different places, who look different than I do. So there's so much. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I think that's why it's so difficult to really like answer the question of like, do you think we should share a in identity as Latinx because mm-hmm. there's so many of us who don't feel like those are spaces for us. And like you said earlier, it yeah. is really, it really has to do with where you are geographically. I'm taking a class. It's like Afro-Latine history in Latin America. And it's run by two Panamanian women. And mm-hmm. I want to say the other woman is from Guatemala, but they're all- Central America. Yeah. And so they're all black women. And it's so funny to just hear the stories of people because everyone in the class is from all over the place. And the whole class really centers around race and how race works in Latin America because people have this misconception that it's different than the U.S., And it's so funny to me because I was talking to my mom about what I learned in class. And I was like, yeah, you know, um, I'll send you the picture of the casta system. And she was like, there's no caste system there. What are you talking about? I was like, (laughs) girl, I was like, you know how here they classify, you know, um, Caitlin can probably clarify this more. But for black people, they have like high yellow, red bone, light skin, brown skin, dark skin. It's all the same in Latin America. Like my mom is always like, yeah, you know, in my country, they call me trigüeña. And mm-hmm. like in DR, mulata. they call, yeah, they have mulata, Caracoda. they have a yeah, of different names. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like me and my mom are in different classifications. Like there they call me morena and they call her trigüeña because she's like a lighter skin and she's mixed with white and I'm not. And so there's all these classifications that like they don't even realize is a racial classification. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's so interesting because then you take it into the context of the U.S. and everyone is talking about their different stories. And there are Black people who are Mexican who are in Texas. And they have kind of a similar experience to us where they're like, everyone here is very Mexican. Their whole mm-hmm. families are here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Texas and California used to be Mexico, so it makes sense. Right, 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 But you hear it's its so interesting to kind of like relate to those people Mm-hmm. And hear their stories of like, I didn't feel accepted in these spaces because I'm not Mexican specifically. And then I hear people yeah. who are Dominican and grew up in New York City, and they grew up around Dominicans, but they were so confused about race because they were like, Dominicans just don't acknowledge race. We just say like, I'm Dominican. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so interesting to like hear different stories of different people, so I love that that's what you're doing and really bringing that to life. Because like you said, when you don't feel represented, you just really got to go hard for your own people. Yeah, and I tell people that all the time. Sure. I'm like, you don't have to pick this shared identity of Latinx if that's not how you fit. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that I fit into that. And so I don't identify that way and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And in the context of the U.S., I still tell people who don't understand, you know, the complexities of this, like, yeah, I'm Latina. Right. Cause they don't, mm-hmm. they don't really understand anything different. But I think it's important to let people kind of like choose where they want to identify. If they want to identify from their home country, if they want to identify from a region, like if you want to say like, oh, I'm Central American. And it's really important for us to
1: make sure that people know these different perspectives. So it's important for us to be able to choose, right? Like Mm -hmm. for so many of us, we've been, I mean, just think back to how we were conditioned to check boxes off. You know, I'm not... Hispanic, I'm other, like, I don't even know what that means. But like, there's all these different boxes. Mm -hmm. That is just like, I've never seen a box that said Afro Caribbean or Caribbean, you know, like, I don't see boxes that exist for the community in different respects. And so I'm just like, why do we even have boxes in general? Like, you know, like, why are we so like, conditioned to think of ourselves in a certain category? Yep. And so it's like what you said. It's like giving us the freedom to identify how we want to identify. You know, like if you want to identify as Latinx, cool. Just don't force the whole world to identify like that. If you identify as Central American, cool. Don't force all Central Americans, you know, like just... Yeah. And it goes back to a lot of different things that happens in this country, but it's just like, like let us just explore who we are as a person and be able to identify that way. And I think it's just more powerful. Like you have a lot more ownership and power in your own identity. Mm -hmm. And like, if I like were to go back and just kind of clip every single beginning of each episode I've done, I'm pretty sure none of them are going to be the same. That's how powerful it is. Some people say I'm first generation Dominican, or I'm bicultural, or I'm biracial, you know, there's a lot of different identifiers that I'm like, it's amazing where people can just choose it for themselves. They're not Mm -hmm. waiting to be checking a box. They're not waiting for someone to tell them. So it's just, again, there's power in that, but it takes a minute. It takes a minute to get there (laughs) because our identities kind of become, I think when we're little, it's like whatever our families say. So I used to say, I'm Hispanic. Like I didn't even really say I was Honduran. I'd be like Hispanic until I started realizing, oh, we're Honduran. And so I would be like eight years old, reping Honduras, you know? They'd be like, what is she wearing? Um, <laughs> but you know, like it's like your identity really just evolves with you and it evolves with your experiences. And yeah. I even think about some Dominicans who identify as black, and they're like, I, I'm, you know, really owning my blackness because that's my reality here. So it's like mm-hmm. a mix of just your realities, your experience, its and who you are. Like, that's your identity. Yeah, and that's the census off. is,
0: like, so <laughs> hard for, for all Latinos to check. I remember um, the last, not this recent census, but the last one, my mom had to call her brother, and she was like, what do I check as <laughs> oh my, my race? She was like, I don't know what to do. She was like, there's white Hispanic and there's black Hispanic. Like, what are we? Because her mom is white and her dad is black. And she was like, I'm yeah. both of those. Did she cross of them off? <laughs> no, well, her brother told her, she, he was like, It doesn't matter Like, what you think you are. It matters how people see you. Like, people see Dominicans as black Hispanic. So you check black
1: Hispanic because mm. we want the funds, girl. Like, give us the money. Give us the funds. Us the no, it's true. Again, it's like people see you as they see you. And they'll. Call you as they call you, you know, like, and it's it's hard because even though we feel a certain way, the world is always going to tell us what they think. Yeah, and this it's why like we got to be really style. loud about it. Hell of loud about, it. yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> okay, I have to chime in real quick with a question because. Jasmine said something about America Ferrara, and I love Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants because I'm just a girl, reader. I read all the books. Mm-hmm. So I really like the movies. Yeah. But I remembered that I just read an article about her because I guess she did a segment during the Emmy Awards this year. And I didn't watch her segment, but she yeah. basically recalled how one of her first auditioning roles, she read for the role and the director was like, okay, great. Can you sound more... Uh, Latin or Latina, I think was the actual word. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't understand what you mean. Like, do you want me to do it in Spanish? And the director's like, no, like still speak English. I just want you to sound more Latina. And America didn't understand what that was at the time. because She was a child. It was like one of her first ever uh, roles auditioning. So Mm -hmm. she goes home and her parents were like, well, yeah, they wanted you to speak broken English. Like her parents knew immediately, like what they meant Mm -hmm. by that microaggression, I guess we could call it if you want to give it an actual, you know, and as I'm reading this article, though, what stuck out to me is they said there was only one Hispanic nominee of the Emmys this year, and it's Alexis Bladell, who was her co-star in Sister of the Traveling Pants, and I didn't know she was Hispanic. And I wanted to know if you guys knew she was Hispanic, because that's my Gilmore girl, Rory freaking Gilmore. I don't think I've ever seen her talk about... Hispanic as in Spanish, because she's super white. And I'm thinking the last white. name is I'm like... Okay, but then I'm laughing because in Sister of the Traveling plans. Where is she from? She's playing the character with Greek's roots. Like, they go to Greece. It's a huge storyline of it. And I'm like, so here you have America <laughs> Pereira like, portraying herself as this, like, Mexican girl with a white dad who, like, has wow. to navigate, like, her race like that. And then we have an Hispanic in Alexis Bledel, who I had no idea, 27 years old, figuring this out right now, reading this article. And I'm thinking she's the only one nominated for the Emmys, but, like for her role in Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, this is the same girl they're talking about. And I just didn't know if you guys knew that because I've mm-hmm. never- I, I, I didn't know that. Because like yeah. you said, because you were like, America doesn't rep Honduras. And like, even here, like there's no mention of her, you know, native country. It's just Latina. Mm-hmm. And like this, you know, her trying to fit into a space. And that's why she's done mainly Mexican roles is because she felt like she was, yes. you know, she had no other option. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring that up real quick. Cause I was like, I had no idea about, Wow, that's trifling. That that
1: happened with Rosalia. Did did you hear about that? Rosalia and her appropriation
0: of Caribbean (laughs) language. Like it's so, girl, when I hear people use our slang in reggaeton that is dominated by white people, you don't know how that makes my blood boil. Because like for so long, even to this day, people make fun of how we speak in the Caribbean. And they're like, y'all don't speak, proper Spanish. You speak broken Spanish. All of our slang is then stolen. And I hate Rosalia. Bye.
1: (laughs) But she won an award. I know. And I'm like, she ain't Latina. Like she's Spanish. Like (laughs) what what y'all mean? I know. There's so much. Again, it goes like back to uh, so many things, but oh, yeah. Any- I just want to clarify that for
0: anybody who doesn't know like, Hispanic mm. is a term that is used for people who speak Spanish. So, Hispanic yeah, does Spain. include Spain, um, but it excludes um, countries like Haiti and Brazil that speak other Latin based languages. So, Latinx mm. is a term that was coined in order to include the diaspora of people who speak a Latin based language. And it does not include the European countries, which is a big part of why a lot of people in the United States use that term, because a lot of us don't want anything to do with Europe. (laughs)
1: Literally. Bye. You're not the only ones. No, but literally it's, you know, now that we're on the topic of media, it's, it's so toxic, right? Because who are the people who are playing Latinos? It's the maids, it's the cooks, it's the, or they're sexualized or they're hella loud. Like people have said, Oh, you're like, yeah, you're like hella sassy. You're Latina for sure. I'm like, what yeah. <laughs> I'm like? What does that mean? Or you're really fiery, really spicy? I'm like, why spicy? Like we don't even eat spice in Honduras. Like <laughs> it's so like, funny that people think our cuisine is spicy. I'm like, no, nah, that's Mexican only. That is Mexican specific. Like my family hates spice. Like. No, they don't do that. (laughs) But it's just, again, there's a lot of different things. I'm like, people don't realize these things because what's in the media is so one-sided and it's Mm -hmm. so limited, right? Into what's shown. I really thought, why are all these Latinas on here? Sofia Vergara, you know, biggest example. She's hella loud. She's like really sexualized. And it exaggerates the fuck out of her accent. Exaggerate. Yeah. She like, you know, that's the moneymaker or whatever. But like what makes me upset about it sometimes is like no one's fighting this. Like they're going into these roles and they're owning it. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, why why hasn't anyone really challenged this? Or why hasn't Mm -hmm. movies or media or, you know, things come out that's like really representing who we are? And the truth is it's not, it's not out there. And I don't know if it, I don't know what it has to do with. I don't know if it's just like, that's just the way that they've done it. And so they're continuing in their own cycle, but like, I'm just so eager. I'm like, how can we break this? <laughs> Cause I'm like, there's so many times I talk about this in my last episode, I just came out, but like, even in the workplace, I'm, I'm hella curvy and I would, I would be so embarrassed by them because I'm like, I don't want people to look at me a certain way. And so I'd wear big jean jackets or I'd like cover, you know, like my ass. (laughs) And I'm like, no No one one look at me. And like, no one like, you know, and it's like from both ends, like I would get it from my white coworkers, women, they'd be like, why is she wearing that? You know, they'd give me an eye or like men would be like, oh, you know, I'm like, Oh, I hate it. Like, I just feel like I'm never satisfied in my body. And that's why for so long, I used to hide it. And now I'm like, you know what, like, Stay out of my DMs. This is for me. Like, <laughs> <That> is <brutal. laughs> like, you know? And like now I own it. But like again, like, I just think of in my nieces. I'm like, I hope y'all are not conditioned to like hide parts of yourself and hide parts of your identity to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. The whole thing. Yeah, I have to. Mm-hmm. I have cousins
0: who because my mom has all brothers, like all of her brothers had kids hella late. So all of my cousins are basically like my nieces mm-hmm. and nephews, right? And mm-hmm. one of my cousins, she is half Colombian. And her mom is a white Colombian and her dad looks black Dominican, right? And she always, her, my older sister is kind of like more your complexion. So like she can tan, but she's fairly fair skinned and like, you know, yeah. dark hair and stuff. And so the two of them look alike because they're, you know, a little bit tan, but they're still like whiter people, right? And yeah. so my cousin always asked me, she's like, why are you like so brown, Like, she doesn't understand these things because, like, all she ever sees of, like, Latinos is just, like, white people, her family. She doesn't really go to the DR like we have always done. She really only goes to Colombia. And so, like, her own representation of that that she's seen has always been white Latinos. And so Mm -hmm. she doesn't understand that even within our own family, she's like, your sister is white and, like, you are brown, brown. And Mm -hmm. we're all related and it makes no yeah. sense to me. And all she ever sees is other people who are Latina and who look like her. So, like, I'd make no sense to her whatsoever. And mm-hmm. so um, she was telling me that she hates reading. And I was like, that's unacceptable to me. So I bought her a bunch I of books. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I bought her a bunch of books written by Dominican authors. And I was like, read these. And she read one of them and she was like, I really like that book that you sent me. And like, she loved it. And I was like, you see, because even though you are, you know, heavily Colombian and like, that's where, you know, you've always gone back to and that's what you see all the time. And that's super represented for you. Like there is another side to it that you have to acknowledge. Um And so I, it got me like so happy that
1: she mm-hmm. was able
0: to read that and like connect with it. Cause I was like, you're still Dominican girl. What do you mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I've seen that happen in my own family where people don't really rep Honduras and I'm, it's just really sad. Cause I'm like, that's their reality. Like they had to, you know, I even think of going to a different topic. Think of my dad. So my dad came here illegally. He came on, it's a train that runs from, um, Guatemala to, to Chiapas, to to Mexico. And so very dangerous train. If anyone wants to look into it, it's called La Tren de la Bestia. Um, the, I think was a direct translation, the train of the beast. Um, and so it's hella scary, but like he talked about his experience, how he had to be in Mexico for, for an un, unknown amount of time. Mm-hmm. And someone told him, they're like, well, you better act like a Mexican because if you if people realize you're Honduran, you're not going to be welcomed here. And so he was like, oh, so he had to change the way he spoke. He had to literally, he's like, I had to eat spice for the first time. And it was like the worst thing in the world. He's like, oh my God. Like, he's like, how do people eat this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there was a lot of things that he was like, it was so different. And he like really had to pretend to be Mexican so he can be welcomed. And I'm like, people think it happens in the United States only, but I'm like, this happens everywhere. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Like. And it's, it's whatever the dominant culture is, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just come, whatever, whatever's around you. And I think about that all the time because he brought, so now he loves spice and he like brings it into our family and everyone's (laughs) like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) we don't eat, we don't eat peppers like that. And he's like, oh, they're so good. (laughs) So he taught me how to eat spicy. Like I'm the only one in my family who really does. But it's just so interesting to think of that perspective of he had to go through a different like two, he had to go, he he had to assimilate in like Mexico and then he had to do it in the U S. So like his whole life has really been pretending and never really like, and he told me once, and this is so problematic. And I like try challenging him, but he's like, I don't get why Latinos are fighting so hard for, for, you know, our rights. Like this isn't our land. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I'm an immigrant. He's like, this is your land. This isn't mine though. And I'm like, but why do you, you've been here? Like, why do you feel that way? And it's like, what our immigrant families think, think yeah. of, they think of themselves as I'm on a strange land. This is not my country. This is not my land. And I'm here just for my kids. And, and it's I'm really like, sad. damn, it's a strange land for me too. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, I'm like, it's for all of us, like literally. And it's, again, it's just really sad. Like, it's just sad all around. I'm like, my dad has been in this pretending phase of his life for his whole life since mm-hmm. he was like 20. Um, so like 20 years no, he's not 40. How old is he? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, he just turned like 50, 57. But again, it's like his whole life has been that. Mom's opposite. She's been a stay at home mom. She never, like, she doesn't really know how to speak English. And she like, she's hella hunter and she is like the Honduran person in the family, but she doesn't ever really speak English because she's like embarrassed by her accent, you know? And she's like, really, again, it's like hiding. Like she tries to hide parts of her identity and it's just yeah. like, I've seen that so much in my, in my life and my family. And I'm just, it's sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually the other day,
0: my mom was talking to me about the same thing. Um, and my parents always joke with me, like whenever I just reject like the label of being American, because I'm like, Americans don't see me as American. So I don't understand. Like I didn't grow Mm -hmm. up in an American household and I did not grow up with an American culture. And so I always tell them that because they make, they're like, you're American. Like you were born here. I was like, nationality means not shit to me.
1: My God. Yes. My family does that too. I'm like, okay, but like, what does American mean? Like it means white. Like, let's be real. Like I know people are like, let's like redefine what American means. And I'm like, that mean means to. we first have to acknowledge what it is. <laughs> and that right now it's American means white. Yeah.
2: Like, and that's why I don't consider myself African-American. Cause I'm like, no, 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 just black. I'm like, just call yeah. me black. <laughs> not offensive. In people my mind. people are so scared yeah. of the word black. Yeah, they it's turned to, you know, some derogatory, like no one wants to be the black of whatever race they are, whatever ethnicity. Like mm-hmm. yeah. But no, it's the truth. I mean, screw honestly, you guys. Cause I was thinking how you guys were talking, and I was thinking about my own experience and how growing up I used to just rep Texas really hard because my family's from Dallas, black, have been there since slavery. There is nothing else besides, you know, my mom's side of the family being Dallas Texas slaves. So it's like I used to rep Texas because I didn't want to rep California because to me, California just meant like white people. And then the older Mm -hmm. I got, I was like, well, but actually California is mainly Mexican, Hispanic. Like, I don't know why I ever thought California was just white, but it's just this image you have of just like L.A., San Francisco. Like before you actually come here and you see what is actually. That's why people are culture shocked, I think, when they get to L.A. and San Francisco, because they think white. And it's like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. sweetheart, you are sadly misunderstood. But. I rep Texas, not black. And now as a grown woman, I'm repping black. I'm like, it's not even about that anymore. Because like you said, screw American. Like I'm black. My family's black. That's the only culture Uh I know. And Uh I only know other cultures because I myself had to immerse myself in them. It's not because like the country that I'm from has like willingly given me all the tools I needed Mm. to like figure out.
1: I don't know. It's just interesting. Even the term American, though, I'm like, you know, there's the Americas. Like, we are not right. the only America.
2: Right. <laughs> right. You know. like, Americans are so
1: prideful. Well, it's the only, like, no, you're like, not the only one. Like, I technically, don't. I am American because I'm Latin American. Like,
0: <laughs> The Dominican Republic was colonized first,
2: so I'm more American than you are. Exactly. That's why people yes. just don't know. They just don't know history, and they just refuse to learn, and they just stick with, like, the BS that was taught to us in schools—
1: in America. And like, they just Mm -hmm, don't want to broaden their horizons to actually know. Takes a lot of unlearning, unlearning what you have been told your whole life in school. Like I hated history. I'm like, I don't know who these people are. Like... I love history now. I know because you actually get to choose what you're learning and you actually mm-hmm. get to see all sides and not just see this one side and think of it a certain way. You're like, oh, it's like what we don't realize we're being conditioned to think a certain way yeah. because of what type of history we're listening to, what side of the history we're listening to. But
0: that's a perfect segue into the last thing that I want to ask, which is about race in Latin America. So very recently, we had a whole scandal with the woman, Jess Bomalera. Who was trying to pretend that she was puerto rican um she claimed that she was afro latinx she was very much white and her hair was like very much straight and she had a little wave in it um oh, it's this idea like in there's this idea in latin america that like race doesn't exist that we're all like this beautiful blend of like indigenous and black and spanish and so she was able to get away with acting that way because people uplift people that are whiter and people who are mixed. And so she was able to like navigate these spaces, but she was saying that she was a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, which is a very specific thing to say. Yes. Because people, because people who are from very the Bronx specific. speak a very specific way and people who are Puerto Rican from the Bronx speak yeah. even more specifically. Right. So- the fact that she was able to pass in an academic space for so long says a lot about how we see race and how we uplift certain things and pretend this is how Latin America functions. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to ask you, how do you navigate conversations about race when everything in the U.S. is very black and white and we are
1: taught being from Latin America that none of these concepts even exist? Oh my god, it's I always, um, whenever I enter these conversations about race, I always am in the listener and learner seat because there's a lot of things that I haven't experienced because of the color of my skin. And so it's kind of just like taking a step back and just allowing whoever I'm talking to, whether they're Dominican, whether they're Puerto Rican, wherever they're from, like giving them an opportunity. I've actually had a lot of Caribbean people. I'm like now thinking about it, (laughs) represent. Um, But I like really just allowing them the chance to explain to me, like, this is what it means from my perspective, because growing up, I I told you I grew up with like Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and it was around, it was around me 24-7, like Salvadorians, like Guatemalans like literally I had a lot of diversity but I did always I used to remember asking my dad because his best friend is Dominican and he's darker skin right and so I would ask my dad I'm like you know me mi, mi tío he, I used to call him tío, my tío Jorge he's really dark and then my dad's like my dad's also very dark you know he has his indigenous background but my dad's like yeah he's like I'm dark too and like I think from the very get-go my, my first question of like race, like why are like people different, <laughs> right? Like my family was very, they educated me on it. And I think because they had a heavy influence of Garifuna culture, they were not strangers to being black in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, not them being black, I'm saying like being black in general in Latin America. And like, they were really, they opened that door for me really early. So I think like, that's how I got really accustomed to like, yes like black people are latinos japanese people they can be latinos and like all these different races right within within latin america i think navigating in my podcast though i'm realizing there's a lot of similarities as much as there are tons of differences like puerto rican from the bronx i actually did interview someone <laughs> puerto rican from the bronx her life was very different and she even said like i don't even consider myself puerto rican sometimes like i have to say puerto rican from the bronx because I grew up in a very specific way. Exactly. But if I go back to Puerto Rico, they're like, "What? <laughs> like you're you're different, right? Like you're American," mm-hmm. they would say, but she's like, "No, I'm from New York." And so it's it's just interesting navigating these conversations. I think it just comes up so naturally, especially in the first question with how do you identify? And they just boom, it's like out there already. Like this is how I identify, this is why these are the reasons, these are my experiences, these are my realities of why I identify the way I do. So it's interesting navigating these conversations because I'm really in the learner seat and I'm just taking it all in. And it feels like I'm in my own history lessons. I'm like, wow, like I'm learning so much about these different cultures where I feel like even, even for me, it was always one-sided. I'm like, I know about Honduran and Central American culture. I don't really know. I mean, I know a lot about Mexican culture because by default, but yeah. I like didn't know a lot about South America, like Brazilian culture, don't really know much about it except for like what we see, like samba and like, you know, carnaval. But there's a lot of other things that I'm learning in each episode where I'm like, wow, like that's amazing. Like that's, it shows the beauty in, in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And what I hate about the perception of Latin America in media is what do you see? Narcos drug traffickers cartels and like all these things where I'm like okay like let's acknowledge yes it happens but that's not all we are Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's not everyone so it's like it's a lot of different things where I'm like I just have so many so much beef with the way that Latin America is portrayed in in the media in the United States but there's also, I think with my podcast, a lot of beauty that's coming out of these conversations around race. It's just, I'm in the learner seat. And I think that yeah. the best way to talk
0: about conversations of race is ask people how they identify. So I think that that is a yeah. really important thing to do is to listen to people and say like, how do you personally identify? Because I'm not going to identify for you.
1: But I think it's, it's really interesting because Like I've always felt uncomfortable saying like a person of color Mm -hmm. and I just don't even do it. I'm like, I'm Latina (laughs) and I'm Honduran, you know, but what I do say, and I do say this with pride is I come from the hood because that is a different experience than people who are Latinos that come from more privilege. And so like for a long time, my family, their whole perception and their goal was let's get out of the hood. We're going to get out of like this low income area. We're going to get out and we're going to get out. (laughs) And then now that I'm out, I'm like, oh my God, like that, there's a lot of shit that's happening there. Like, you know, and it just bothers me because I'm like, no wonder I learned from these freaking textbooks that were five years old and were held together by duct tape. And no, I didn't have my own book. I had to share it with someone else. And so there was like all these different things where I'm like, this is so problematic. And I think so, so many people, including like my family were so wrapped in, in the idea of let's get out than to like, let's, do something for the community, mm-hmm. like let's help our community out. And it's again, it's that idea of in- individualism, right? Like each man for themselves. Like let's just go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think people are really challenging that now, which I love. But no, you're right. Like there's there's a lot of different identifiers, and our experiences are very different. And I think one of the most beautiful things that I got to experience growing up is I grew up around a lot of diversity. And it's, I really had my first white friend when I was in high school. Like I didn't really have a lot of white people. I mean, even she was white and Mexican. So I was like, barely, you know, like barely (laughs) a white friend, but it was, I had that perception. I'm like, Oh my God, you're my first white friend. And it was like, that's probably problematic in itself, maybe. But like, I grew up around, you're like, eh, (laughs) no, I'm okay with it. But but I grew up around, all my friends were Spanish speaking. All my friends were Latinos. All my friends were like people of color. So it was interesting for me because I don't typically identify as a person of color. I just feel like I don't I don't have the right <laughs> because I'm like, I'm so fair skinned. Um, but my dad is darker. So I'm like, like both my parents, if you see them, they're like shorter than me and they're way darker than me. And I'm just like, this is my color. Um, and I'm hella tall. And it's so funny because if you see us three, like it doesn't make sense. You're mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what? But again, it's like everyone, even in our own families, our realities are very different. Yeah. And as much as like you were saying, right, your sister is like fair skin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's like, yeah, your siblings. That's a thing. And you, you will have different experiences based on your color, based on where you come from. And it's just, again, it's a lot of different layers to identity, right? And like where and how we identify. But gr- growing up low income is different than mm-hmm. growing up with in a house and growing up with all these other opportunities and, and whatnot. And so it's even that, right? I'm like, I'm proud of being from the hood and I will always do more for my community and I'll always give back. I think once you start to understand people's stories, once you start to even ask what they're feeling, what they're going through, like you have an, a different appreciation for them and you feel differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that would solve a lot of problems <laughs> in terms of white people are better than black people or Latinos like white Latinos are better than this, you know it, it would solve a lot of those problems because people just don't understand each other and yeah. they don't realize oh we we do have a lot of similarities or oh I get you or I see you and I and I hear you and it's like people just want to feel heard they want to feel seen and at the end of the day who's being heard and who's feeling seen it's the same people a hundred percent
0: I'm sure I'm not the only person who doesn't know a lot of Hondureñas mm-hmm. so what's something that you want to just tell people that's special about your culture that they maybe don't know. I know there's probably so, so many much. things, but just like one <laughs> one thing that you just love and you're like, this is just my favorite thing about us. Like, we're just the best.
1: <laughs> punta, which says a lot because it comes from our Garifuna culture, but punta, it's the dance that we dance. So there's salsa, merengue, there's bachata, which, you know, a lot of people are starting to know about, but or probably already know about, but no one knows about punta. So it feels like it's almost a Honduran thing or like mm-hmm. a Central American, like this is ours, you know, even though there's been so many times, like people have heard Sopa de Caracol, Sopa de Caracol, yeah. eh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of different songs out there, but people don't really know, oh, that's Honduran, you know, like they don't like point out or that's Garifuna, you know, mm-hmm. they don't point it out like that. So I think for me, and again, this is very specific to where my family's from, because if you ask someone that grew up, you know, in Tegucigalpa, they probably have a different perspective. But because my family was so close to the coast, Mm -hmm. you know, La Costa Norte, they like grew up with this beautiful culture of dancing and la comida and like plátano, yuca, like we ate all, we still eat those things. And so there's a lot of beauty and the influence in our dances and our food. And Mm -hmm. so... But I think Punta is the one thing I'm like hella proud. Like, girl, I can dance it all day. <laughs> and it's very beautiful. I would recommend everyone to look up Punta Hondureña, Punta Catracha. It's a very beautiful, it's a beautiful dance. And it, again, it comes from Margarifuna culture. And it's, you, you will see the heavy African influence in mm-hmm. here.
0: So thank you for your show. Thanks for bringing all of these stories to the people. What's your social media handles and stuff so that people can follow you?
1: Twitter, it's Odalis Jasmine. Instagram, it's O Jasmine with four A's. And the and the Jasmine. Find me on LinkedIn. You guys can all check out Jasmine's podcast, Te Latino. It's on Spotify, Apple. Um, what's the other ones? Google. And we just got on Amazon. Yeah, we're there. Thanks so
0: much, Odalis Jasmine, for joining us this week on We Got to Talk About. We are so happy that we were able to have her on as our very first guest. Once again, check out her podcast, Hella Latino, on all streaming platforms. And be sure to look out for a future episode, which will feature me, my licious on Hella Latino.
2: All right, welcome back, everybody, to We Gotta Talk About... Just, I guess, a little fresh reminder after hearing multiple voices. So this is Caitlin. And this is Maya. <laughs> and we're back from our little break, and we're going to discuss the N-word. So this is this is a good, heavy day. I feel kind of, like, cathartic in a sense, even just from listening to, like, you and Jasmine go in-depth about Latinidad and, like, all those fun bullet points we hit on. But this one, I don't know. I just feel like with the time frame right now, and I guess before we even start, we should have this on, is that today's the day after the decision of the one out of three police officers who were involved in the shooting and murder of Breonna Taylor. Um, so things are really heightened right now. Protests are reignited, even though they really haven't stopped in a few major cities across the country. So they're just like being given more life essentially. Um, I don't know. And I just feel like I've, I also wanted to talk about it because my boyfriend had an incident actually where an Asian guy kept calling him the N word like in their dialogue and he was drunk and like, clearly high on something but just like it really rubbed him the wrong way, but he's someone who grew up using that word throughout his Mexican community. And me as a black person, like, I don't really feel like that word was really prevalent in my experience growing up. I don't feel like I really heard it a lot until I moved to the Bay Area and furthermore didn't start using it a lot until I moved to the Bay Area. If it was in a song, it was one thing, but like, I don't really remember it being a part of just like our common vernacular in high school. And maybe it was because it was more of a more diverse community, and it maybe would have just like, I don't know, rubbed people the wrong way or something. But like, I don't know. Do you have any experience with the N word before we like dive in? Is what I would love to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I'm like CBS, and I definitely used to use it a lot. Uh-huh. But I yeah, I agree that it was more like in the Bay Area that I felt more comfortable with that. But yeah, I've I've had like a difficult time, like kind of deciding, do I get to use this word? Because like I have always been in, in black spaces yes, and I have always been like very much accepted in those spaces, but I'm not American. Like I'm not a black American person. And we were, um, one of our listeners wrote in and asked you a question about, I don't know what she asked coming to terms with the history and the difference between Black Caribbeans and Black Americans or something like that.
2: Yes. Being a Black Caribbean and moving to America and h- having to understand the Black American experience and how different it is from the Black Caribbean experience, mm-hmm. because they're two completely different things and the class systems are completely different. And just trying to get them to understand like why the system has been set up this way against us. And they- Couldn't really understand, I think, that concept of like the system, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I think that's a foreign concept to people who aren't American. It is, yeah. So, yeah, um, she was really trying to ask how could she engage in getting that message across. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, was what she was asking. Yeah, and so
0: in regards to that, it reminds me of how I kind of came to terms with the fact that my history even though I'm Afro descendant it is very different from like the experience of black Americans, even though we're all descendant of enslaved Africans, the, the journey that black Americans have had in this country and like the oppression and the systems that have been set up, it's very, very different from in other parts of the world where they have big African descendant communities. Yes. And so I, I, I just wasn't as educated as I am now And I was always, like, in spaces where people were like, well, you're Dominican, so therefore you're Black. And so I kind of just, like, was like, okay, so then, you know, everyone's saying it. They're saying, like, it's okay for me to say it. And, like, we all call each other this. And so I just never really thought anything of it. Mm -hmm. And then I started getting educated. And I was like, it is definitely not in my place to say (laughs) this word because Uh I'm – there's a difference between being Black and being Afro-descendant. And I didn't understand that difference. And so I was like, oh, well, like I come from Black people and I have a visibly, part of my family is very visibly Black. But like, I'm not always racialized as Black. And so I do not in any way have claim to even call myself a Black person. Okay, I don't have the experience of always being racialized as Black and treated as a Black woman. So that's not, and I'm not a Black American, even though... My family may be Afro-descendant and they may be Black. It's it's just a different history. So even if I was Black Caribbean, like fully Black Caribbean, I still probably shouldn't be using the word because it's not part of
2: my history. It's okay. not a word that they use there. let no, Because I didn't know if it was a word that was used as like, you know, Camaraderie, whatever the case may be, or if it was Domin- used in a more recent Black
0: Dominicans who have like reclaimed their blackness being here because they're racialized that way. They right. they use it all the time, and that's probably a majority of people who like grow up in places like New York City where there's a big like West Indian and yeah. African and you know Caribbean population. But even just the word like negro in Spanish has been something that people have had to reclaim. Because like we were talking about earlier is like this idea of like we're all this mix. Mm -hmm. But then there's people who are like, no, I'm black. And they always say that. It's like you guys aren't paying attention if you think that black Latinos don't exist. Because they literally lead with Afro when they identify themselves. They're like, I'm Afro-Latino. Right. And they say like, I'm negra. So – Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a different history. Like, they have reclaimed the word black there, but it's not like, it's not a slur that has been used the
2: way the N-word has here. Okay. Okay, that's good to know. So, yeah, I don't, mm, okay, interesting. Because, yeah, I don't have much of an experience with it besides the fact that I use it. Um, And I'm trying to not use it as often, but I only use it in specific company also Mm -hmm. on purpose. And it's really weird for me because my experience with it, like I said, like I know like some of the older kids that (laughs) so I know that people that I went to school with who were a couple years older, like the class of 09, 08, used to use it. Whatever. I know that like guys on like the basketball team I think used to use it because there were Mm -hmm. more black guys on the team. But it wasn't until college that I started to use it because of the boys next door. being in that group but then when i really look at that dynamic the the dynamic of that group it's only a couple black people in that group Mm -hmm. everybody else is some european something like they either rep their italian heritage like you wouldn't ask them like what are you they wouldn't say white they'd say italian because like literally like they are you know second third generation like their grandparents great grandparents came here and like they've been in san francisco living in the italian neighborhoods their whole life, went to Catholic schools, like, very much, like, that is who they are, and then I have, like, you know, there's another guy who's, what, half Asian, half white, if I'm not mistaken, but, like, he uses it all the time, so then I realized, oh, wait, this is a Bay Area cultural thing. This has nothing to do with race, and this is everything to do with cultural, and I think people confuse the two sometimes mm-hmm. when talking about some things, because if you don't know about Bay Area culture, like, with the hyphy movement and E40 and Too Short and Mac Dre and just, like... That is the culture. <laughs> that's the culture. And, like, the Black Panther movement. Like, because, mm-hmm. like, Mega, like, the N-word is... When I, mean, I say the N-word, I'm talking about it ending in ER of what was used as a derogatory term from slave trade days until current day. Um, like, you say ER to anybody, like, you're getting hands. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, well, yeah, I would no, never it, say it with an ER. Yeah, there's no way you can just, like, push that to be anything. Like, just no. But the ending with an A, it's a it's a camaraderie term. It means homie. It means friend. Like, my guy. Whatever. And those guys used it. And I used it with them because I was comfortable using it with them. Because there was, you know, another black guy from Oakland. And we were just talking about another black guy from San Diego who's not really black. Who's Caribbean. But who uses it all the time because... Hip hop and rap music is a really big part of his life, and I'm sure he mm-hmm. just heard it and whatever homies he has probably said it. And then my boyfriend's half Mexican, and he says it with all of his friends, and like he used to. And my boyfriend's actually been trying really hard to stop saying it because he just felt like it wasn't his word
0: mm-hmm. and he
2: shouldn't be using it, yeah, in the way that he does. Um, so it's like a personal choice for him, and you know, and it's hard because when you get back to your neighborhood, you know, you just like fall into old habits, I think sometimes. And it's comfortable, but like, it doesn't offend me when I hear his friends saying it. And I noticed because of my college experience that when the boys next door said it, I had no problems with them. Aya. It was part of the normal conversation. I never batted an eyelash. Mm-hmm. But when I went across the street to Sigma Chi and I was hanging out with them and smoking weed with them and they were playing 2K and they're screwing up in the game and they're saying it and screaming it, it felt so dirty and wrong and uncomfortable. It made me made my skin crawl. And it just made me, and I realized like you, I shouldn't be picking and choosing who's allowed to say it, but also in certain company, it just felt weird. I'm the only black person in this room. Mm -hmm. I'm really not friends with you guys. I'm friends with one, maybe two of you guys. And like knowing that you guys say it like this in your own, like personal company. In a house that's very white. It's just weird. Like, it's weird to see a group of white people using that word with each other. It just doesn't make sense to me, because why would you need to, is my Mm -hmm. first question. doesn't matter if you listen to hip-hop, rap music, whatever. Like, that's not an excuse. Like, music can't be, like, the sole reason why you choose to use a word. Because it's not like these guys were from the Bay Area. Yeah. It wasn't like this was a part of their normal, everyday vernacular. Like, you wouldn't go say it if you weren't in this house right now, probably with these guys. You know what I'm saying? But, like, you felt, you feel comfortable saying it in this. It just was weird. And I have pick and choose who I'm okay hearing it with. Like, if you're Mexican and I hear you say it, I'm probably not gonna bat an eye. Is that okay? I don't know. There's a lot of Black people who don't agree with me on that, Um, but it's a part of my own personal journey. I don't know. I don't know if Black people will ever have like a true consensus besides the ER ending and it never being okay or appropriate in any setting to use that word at someone. But after knowing my boyfriend had that experience, though, with this Asian man, and I've been around Asians who say it up here, and it really rubs me the wrong way because he, I don't Asians know. in the Bay
0: Area think that they're black and like they it actively try to make themselves look black and dress black and act black. And it's really bizarre.
2: And, it, and and that's the thing. And that's why it sucks. Cause like you can't help that your parents came here from somewhere in Asia or your grandparents. You can't help that the only home, you know, is like Dublin, Hayward, yeah. Bay, Oakland, San Francisco, wherever it may be where the word is clearly a word people use. But I can't tell you how much it pisses me off when I see Asians using it because here's my thing and I kind of feel the same way like a little bit about Mexicans but like it's a little different for me when you have your own language that you can speak and that you do speak with one another because Asians are also very um you don't see like a lot of you know you see a lot of Filipinos hanging out Filipinos and a lot of Japanese hanging out with Japanese and a lot Mm -hmm. of and like in China there's just so many different dialects of Chinese and just like different like there's just it's a melting pot but like very rarely do I feel like they're not speaking multiple language in their group if they are just like using slang or whatever and I know they have slang words and I know that they have their own so I'm like why are you taking from my culture just because you hear it a lot and it's in your music and it's you know, in your shows, whatever the case may be, it doesn't make sense to me. And I hope that makes sense when I say that. I think that another,
0: I I think that one of the main reasons why it's so problematic for Asians is because Asians are so racist against black people that it's like, how are you as a, as a culture, like it's well known. How are you as a culture gonna be this anti-black and then use the N word? Like that's what you can call your buddies. Um, and Mexicans, it, I do think it's a little bit different because there are there are black Mexicans. Um, and that. some of them may have grown up in households where like where it's like me and like they see that their family is visibly black. And so they're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm therefore entitled to this blackness too. Which is not, I mean, it's not true,
2: but that it may be a little also different. Not wrong. Yeah. There's levels to it, right? I mm-hmm. guess it's kind of what we have to agree on things. And I don't know. It's really hard for me because, yeah, for the Asian culture, I just know like there are Asians whose parents would be really upset if you brought home a black boy or girl as like your person. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've been really blessed with my Asian experience of the people that I grew up with. I never felt if their parents did feel some type of way about Black people, they never let it be known or shown. So I don't feel like I ever had to deal with that. It wasn't until I got to the Bay Area and I realized like, oh, I'm gonna be looked at a little differently if I walk in a certain place and I might, you know, be watched a little harder because this person clearly has just had bad experiences with Black people. But like, Then there's some Asians who just get along really well with Black people and love them because, you know, they're a business owner in Oakland or whatever. And like those are your customers. It just depends on who you are and your values and Mm -hmm. whatever. I just, I can't stand it. Whites and Asians using that word just really rubbed me the wrong way. And I, we got to talk about it because I want to know why. You know, I have to figure out with myself why it rubs me the wrong way. I have to. You know, because people are going to hear this and be like, that's totally not fair. Like, you are so wrong for this. This doesn't make sense. Like, you can't pick and choose. And I do believe that's right. I shouldn't be able to pick and choose. Um, I mean, I disagree. I think you should be able to pick and choose. (laughs) And maybe I should because it's my word. It's my culture. That's
0: what I'm saying is like, I I would never tell a Black American what to do with their own culture. Just like I would expect them not to tell me what to do with my culture. So if people say that in front of you and it makes you uncomfortable you should speak up. And if people say it in front of you and it doesn't bother you, then like that's your choice. Right. Well, but I think that's why like people are so like always so divided on it. Um, And I also have a story from Greek life. So um, basically like I, I talked about this a little bit before that I hung out like at a house um, that I wasn't necessarily comfortable at because the people that were like in my close circle of friends hung out there Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like one day we were all like hanging out, um, in somebody's room and all of the guys who were like older and were known for like being racist and being really weird. And like, no one ever wanted to interact with them. They like came into the room and started to hang out with us and started like throwing around the N word with the hard R. And everyone else, like, the people that I was hanging out with, like, thought, oh, like, you know, this is some joke or whatever. Like, this is funny. And I was like, this is not in any way funny. It made me so uncomfortable. And so I think after that, like, it kind of changed my perspective because I was like, there's really people out here who, like, actually just think that way. Like, they think of Black people.
2: Like, how are they using it? Like, like, talking about someone who was Black or, like... No, they or were they talking about to, like, black joke around
0: people just, in general. I don't remember what the conversation was, but I just remember them using it in the context of like talking about black people as a group. And I was like, nope, that's not it. And ever since then, I was like, okay.
2: I wish I could not be. I'm just like, huh? No, I was saying like, I wish they could see my face because I'm. Just, I like, know. I'm um, yeah, after that I was like oh hell no
0: because I also had never heard anybody use it with the ER on the end ever in my life
2: oh yeah, so that was your first experience
0: that was my first experience of people like
2: actually using that and I was like what the fuck it's a heavy hitter for sure when you haven't heard it I and that's what I was trying to think of is I've I think we've had a couple instances at our school where, like, some idiot white guy said it and probably got his ass beat for just, you know, trying to, I don't know, whatever. But, like, I don't think in my adult life, unless it's been, like, yeah, an internet thing that I've seen, I don't think I've had to deal with that. God bless. Hopefully that's stays the case. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, interesting I didn't know that, about that Greek life story. Okay. That'll be on my mind. <laughs> but <laughs> um, pivoting just a little bit, though, I did tell Maya that. Um, so I wanted to ask about her experience with the word and kind of touch base on mine a little bit and dive into that whole and choosing realm. Um, and I guess before I segue, just to kind of say this, if you... If you have black friends, I guess, that are comfortable using that word with you and to you and at you or whatever, fine. But like, you can't get upset at a black person for telling you that they're uncomfortable hearing you use it in any type of conversational manner. Um, And I think you should be very respectful of the fact that that word is a black word. Every culture has their own definition or version of the word. Some are derogatory, some may not be. Some may really be other forms of camaraderie. But for the most part, this is a Black word, and it's derived from a derogatory word that classified us as not human, not equal, and property. So because of that, do with that what you will. Um, I don't think it's funny. Um, If it comes along in a song, you don't have to say it. You know, the excuse people love to give is like, well, it's in a song. They don't want me to say it. It shouldn't be in a song. Okay, but you also are just like super able to just sing over a song lyric and it not be a big deal. I know Kanye West got a lot of shit for Go Digger when it came out because people were like, you just gave white people this like open invitation of just saying this word in a song. But the argument's always been you have a choice to say the word or not. Mm -hmm. And if you're choosing to just say it because you think you just can, and it's not a big deal, then that's on you and your conscience and like on your decision-making. But there's so many people I know. I mean, I work as a bartender and my bar lead goes out of her way to like not say the word in songs. She just pauses and like keeps going. And her favorite song is my type. Like everyone knows when that song came on, our white girl, like That was her freaking song. She's going to twerk a little bit behind the bar. Might get on the bar top. Did she ever say it? No, she didn't. So like, it's possible. So, and that's my issue with it is I'm like, are you just being lazy and like an asshole or? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) It's always yes. So I wanted to touch base a little bit um, because there was this really popular interview. I say popular. I don't know how popular it was. Maybe for my community, it was popular. I don't know, part of black culture, not pop culture, but it was the early 2000s. And Jay-Z was like one of the biggest rappers, if not the biggest rapper at that time. Um, I think he had just written a book to like, he was like dipping his hand in some like entrepreneurship and was kind of like becoming a bigger name. And so him and Oprah had a sit-down interview because Oprah had made it very apparent in the public media that, like, she was not okay with rap music. And there was kind of a battle going on, actually, between hip-hop and rap artists and, like, the old-school greats of, like, R&B music Mm -hmm. because they were kind of like, you know, we had to overcome all these barriers and, like, all these singers had to overcome racism in order to, like, have the same space as white artists of, like, the Beatles and Elvis and all these people who took our music and made it their own and got really popular and rich from it while we were trying hard to do the same thing. Like how dare you guys use the N word and the capacity you do in your songs and in your lyrics when like, without these people breaking these barriers to even get here, like you wouldn't even be able to be here to do this as a profession and like feed your family kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so there's kind of been this battle going on with that for a while, I think. And I think Jay-Z was at the forefront of the movement of trying to get the older artists to kind of like sit back and realize like, look, we have to take our own power and control over this word because it's our word. Um, And if we can use it in this way in a public like forum and like to show people, this is our word, like then it's down to those other people to decide if they're going to, you know, take it, steal it and run with it and then use it in a negative or derogatory way. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yada, yada, yada. So I pulled it up a little bit because Oprah kind of starts out the interview just, like, asking some, you know, whatever Oprah questions. Um, I miss her. Honestly, I'm a little weird about Oprah lately. I really looked up to her my whole life. And then, like, in the last, like, five to seven years, I've just heard some really just horrible stories and, like, way she treats people and how she kind of has the system. And, like, she's just very elitist. and like, Yeah, the elites are going to elite. They are, and so I don't know. I've just heard some horror stories from some people that I would thought would get more respect from those people that we've looked up to. It's always hard when, like, your mentors just, like, shade and shame people. I would just, like, rather see her on TV than, like, Ellen at this point. (laughs) Speaking of, did you see, while I look up this article, did you see her opening monologue of her quote-unquote apology? No. Please do yourself a favor and watch that trash. This lady has a lot of nerve, honestly. She, like, does this eight-minute monologue of, like, How's everybody's summer? Mine was great. Like, no, bitch, you can't joke about the fact that your show was at the center of one of, like, the biggest controversies. Yikes. She's, ooh, yikes. I don't know. And, like, it's just, she used so much humor in it that I was like, this is an apology. I was like, your writers and your PR team got together and made this, like, fit your narrative. But I was like, at the end of the day, you just sound like... You have no clue, and you still won't have any clue, and like, not much is probably going to change.
0: I lot. don't even like at this point. I don't even accept apologies from white people, celebrities, or white people, and especially not white celebrities, because it's like you are so out of touch with the whole world. Like you live in a different world than we do,
2: and you're only apologizing to save your ass and to keep your going yeah. But like, do you really care? No, I think there are some people who really do feel bad when it's like. I don't know. That's just me, you know. Yeah, but if you're making jokes, like, I know that you're a comedian and
0: that's your platform, but there's a time and a place and people will respect you a lot more if you actually just, like, drop the fucking act and apologize instead of, like, making it into some joke because, like, this isn't funny shit that we're joking about.
2: Speak on it. All right, girl. Let's dive into this little, just a little tidbit to kind of give you guys some idea of, like, Older generation versus new generation and the dynamic around the N word. Because, I don't know, my parents didn't say it in the house. Like, it wasn't like my dad might have said it to his best friend, like, sporadically, but I kind of knew that it's just like, okay, whatever. They just like said that to each other growing mm-hmm. up, boot camp, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, but Oprah says, um, I was once at a Jay Z concert and there was a moment when everybody, including white people, were screaming the N word. I got to tell you, it didn't make me feel good. And Jay Z says, that's understandable. And Oprah says, but it, didn't seem to affect you. You were having a good time up there on stage. Jay-Z says, I believe that's a speaker's intention is what gives a word its power. And if we eliminate the N-word, other words would just take its place. Hip-hop has done so much for race relations, even with this ignorance, which by the way, we do have to take some responsibility for. But even without directly taking on race, we've changed things just by being who we are. It's difficult to teach racism in the home when your kid loves Jay-Z. It's hard to say that guy is beneath you when your kid idolizes that guy. Mm. And Oprah says, I'll give you that. But when I hear the N-word, I still think about every Black man who was lynched. And the N-word was the last thing he heard. So we'll just have to disagree about this. And Jay-Z says, it's a generational thing. Interesting. Interesting. So that's just a little tidbit. <clears throat> and it, I think it is a generational thing. And I think that's why I think it's important that we differentiated at the beginning of this between the ER ending and the A ending that is used in common speech because I completely understand where Oprah is coming from, but that's not what's happening here. These mm-hmm. are song lyrics. It's a form of art. It's a form of music, like which is a universal thing that's been around since, you know, thousands of years so like I don't know how do you feel about that how did that make you just what's your opinion on it's
0: it's funny that you say that it's a generational thing because um two people that have been some of my favorite I don't want to use the term influencer because I feel like that has a weird connotation but I mean they are big they are big personalities like on social media so no name is one of them and she is a rapper and she stopped performing because white people were saying the N-word at her concerts. Right. And another person that I follow is Jackie Ina, who is a, like, beauty blogger. Mm-hmm. And she literally posts videos all the time of her singing songs and not saying the N-word. Okay. She'll be like, look how easy it is. Right. you know all the words. You do. So why can't you just not say the word? And so I think that it's almost like going back to a perspective of only black people can say it and just don't say it. Just don't say it. If you're not black, because it's not your word to choose like pick and choose. And in regards to Jay-Z and like his comment is, I mean, I kind of agree with him and he also can't control his audience. Like he's up there to perform. What is he going to do? Stop the concert and be like, let me find all the white people and tell them not to
2: say the N word. Right. So and it's like, lot- it's like difficult. Right. Cause like, you're not gonna do that. And I know the song that kind of started this kind of like BS for Jay Z was "Hard Not Life." Mm-hmm. It's the Annie sample, and so it's he it was. I know he's jokes like, "Wow, who would have known he put an Annie sample on a song?" And like all the white people are gonna come out and love your track and be like singing these words to you at a concert. Like that was a big moment for him when mm-hmm. he was like, "Holy shit, I reached white people because I used a freaking Annie sample." Like well, shit, great for me. Like, I hear dollar signs in my ears. You know what I'm saying? So, like, and I don't know, I feel that way because Wiz Khalifa and Childish Gambino had these issues too, where they were publicly, like, stoned by Black people because they were like, we go to your concerts and there's more white people than there are Black people. And they're like, okay, but Black people claim they like my music, but y'all not showing up. Y'all not paying for tickets. Like, it's these you know, teenage white boys who, you know, are rebels or whatever word you want to use, listening to music their parents probably don't want them to, smoking a lot of weed, doing stupid shit, like, they're the ones coming out and listening to my music and memorizing my words and singing them right back at me. So, like, what do I do? Like you said, am I going to stop the concert because it's all white people?
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that, like, an important thing to note there is that these people are continuing to perform because of capitalism like they want to make their money and they're like as long as I have a platform and I have people following me and I can make money off of what I love doing I don't care who the people supporting me are but then it also brings up the issue of like constantly doing everything for white approval and it's like I don't know it's just kind of a difficult thing to navigate because it's like what are you gonna do not make any money like no name has Literally come out and been like, I only have so many funds to go around now. Like she tries to just like redistribute all her money, but she refuses to perform. But not everybody would do that because most people are like, I need money to survive and I want to get out of whatever situation I'm in. So you'll take what you can get.
2: Yeah, and it also bodes, like, deeper into just the music industry as a whole and just the capitalism of ticket sales and, like, mm-hmm. the affordability of tickets of, like, yes. well, what if only rich white kids can afford these tickets to these concerts? Which is usually but, the case. Right. The black kids want to go. They want to support you. But, like, we just can't spend... Can afford it. You know, 80 a $100 on a ticket for a couple of hours because it's just... That's how much it took us in a week to get that money. Whatever the case may be. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um... Closing argument. Don't say it if you're not Black. Even if you've grown up saying it, because like I said, I have friends who aren't Black who say it. The older I've gotten, the more I've educated myself, the more I've seen things and experienced stuff, I do get uncomfortable hearing certain people say it. God, I don't know. And like I said, I, that's why I just feel weird about it, because I just I feel guilty for picking and choosing. But again, it's it's my culture and it's my word. I mean, I'm sure every culture feels that way. I'm sure Mexicans and Asians, Filipinos, everyone probably has, you know, their common words, whatever, their slang words that they would be upset if they just started hearing other people say who really don't have any use saying it. That's kind of how we feel, I think, at a point. So I don't know how it's going to like grow and evolve over the years. I don't know if it'll keep being as prevalent as it is. I don't know. I'm interested to see. It's just interesting to me though, that no matter how much time has passed, the ER ending is still being used as a verbal jab, Mm -hmm. something to hurt your soul and like inflict pain and just, so that's why it just always baffles me why people would want to say it if you're not black. Cause like, you just know that the other usage of it comes from a bad place. Like, why would you even want to associate yourself with just like there are other words. There are other things to say, right? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't all of our the sources be evolved enough, having been educated in high school and college, to, like, have other synonyms to use? But, you know, to each their own, I guess, right? Yeah. I, I think it'll just, like, always be an
0: ongoing debate because there's some people who, like, just tell people, you know, stop using it, but I'm not going to, like, argue with you because there's so many other issues that Black people are dealing with, so it's, like, irrelevant to them. And then there's people who, like, you You hear it in a derogatory way, and it's on purpose to instigate you, and you just can't help it because of the history. So it's always, like, it's always going to be a debate because I hear it from different people, like, some people are like, well, I just use it, like, with my friends, and because of the intent behind it, like, because of the way I use it, it's fine, and I'm black. And then there's some people who are Black who are like, I don't ever want to use that word. Like, you know, the history is horrible and we should just eliminate it altogether. So
2: that's what makes it hard. (laughs) Your your own community feels differently about it. And like, you know, it is hard when you have older people and generations who did go through the actual civil rights movement Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago who are like, yo, like, we didn't deal with these hoses and dogs and beatings and fires and all this shit for y'all to just, like, take this word and just make it popular, you know? So, you know, it's like respect and just, it's all these different angles. And it's really hard (laughs) being Black sometimes because of that, because the younger generations of Black people, you know, I think we hear these horror stories and we hear about the things that our generations before us and our ancestors went through. And we just want to own everything and, like, give it our power and, like, our intent behind it that I think we kind of forget sometimes how that could make older people feel. But it's also that, like, double-edged sword of, like, progression and just needing to move forward and, like, not living in the past and, like, allowing those things to affect you that way. But then who am I to, like, tell you how to feel because I wasn't around at that time and, and I don't know what that word did for you and I don't know, you know, what may or may not have happened. So, yeah but just the rule of thumb for everyone. Just, you know, you're not black, don't say it. If you're singing a song, it's really not hard to just gloss over it. It's really not. I mean, there's so many TikToks and like Instagrams and just like funny comedic videos of people like purposely trying to show you how stupid you look, like acting like it's hard to not just not say it. So don't be that person. Yeah, I don't know. And like I said, if you have black friends, Really, don't say it if there's not even a black person around. Like, here's my thing y'all look so dumb and so rude when there's like a group of white people and you're just like screaming it out at each other or you're Asian or whatever. Like, it just looks bad. It's really not a good look. It feels weird. It's not just me. Like, anyone who's black who passes by is you and sees you or hears you doing it, it just makes them uncomfortable. Some people will speak out, and especially in this day and age. Like, people are really heightened and everyone's really quick now with our reactions mm-hmm. to things. I would highly advise that as times are going and moving forward, you just don't even use it because it could be the wrong place, the wrong time for you and like the wrong day to piss off a black person. And next thing you know, you're getting your ass beat. All I mean, I guess you'll learn your lesson. Hey, and maybe some people need to get their ass beat to just stay away from it. But yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the people that use that word a lot lately to like know how I feel about it when using it in like mixed company. I don't know. Like one of my homies says it like all the time to me and he's Mexican and like, it doesn't phase me. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a cultural thing. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. As a black woman, I don't even have like a straight answer for you guys <laughs> I just should go and prove, you know, I don't know, say a lot. It's just complicated. It's a it's complicated, complicated word. It's a complicated history. But, yep. And yeah. So that's it. That's our little tidbit. It was just, you know, a nice little cherry on top of a, nice heavy loaded episode. I don't know. Are we done? Is this the end of like season one? (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: like, I don't really know how, how these things work, I guess for podcasts, but we did want to just like end at 10 episodes and kind of just like give people time to catch up. And then, you know, also just take like a mental break for ourselves and regroup and gather information so that we can come back and make more amazing
2: episodes. Yeah, for those of you that follow me on Facebook, you see that I've already posted a question that's generated lots of comments and opinions that we're going to bring to you guys in the future. So you might see both of us the Instagram page asking for opinions, thoughts. Don't be shy to share. Everything is anonymous. We're never going to like name check you if we do say someone sent in a question or like we discuss this, we're just going to talk about the subject matter at hand and just provide you guys with the dialogue and the information yes you guys are aware um but yeah i'm thank you guys i guess this is the point where we say thank you right thanks for just listening and hanging in with us 10 episodes game of thrones style girl i'm here for it that's a theme i feel like we're going on you know oh there you go yeah we're hbo we're h yeah home <laughs> <Own> black office i <laughs> <laughs> i mean we are home (laughs) home. (laughs) Um, so anyway but yeah okay that's it anything else to add I don't know oh yeah I mean like we get
0: some questions sometimes so like even if we aren't recording we're not putting out episodes for a couple weeks or however long we decide to take a break if you catch up and you want to ask questions or like clarify stuff we're only really on here talking for a few hours a week so you really don't get a full picture of who we are and our personalities. And we can't go as in depth on every single topic because all these topics are, you know, ongoing discussions and ongoing education and learning and unlearning. So if you want to have a discussion or you have questions or anything like that, feel free to send those in because we have been getting some things, but yeah, everything's anonymous. So don't,
2: don't be shy. Don't be shy. And we like to engage. It makes us feel good that we're provoking thought process and opinions with people. Um, It's really nice to know that people are engaging. Um, I know our episodes are long, you guys. I've gotten a lot of comments of people just being like, ooh, long episodes, but like I'm putting it on, on like my car ride home or something. And I'm like, okay, like maybe we'll talk about it. You know, we just talk, Maya and I just, we can just talk so long together. It's kind of just like a blessing and a curse, I guess. And I really try to edit so much out. I try so
0: hard, but I always have like a solid two hours of recording which isn't even the full time that we spend yeah. on here. Like we spend a solid like four or five hours on Zoom a week Definitely. and you get like in an hour and 30 minutes maybe.
2: The <laughs> specific episode is going to give you like a total like three and a half hours worth of recording. and It, it is. So bad. Anyway so yeah so for those of you that know that like call her daddy BS which I don't but I do know that their big blow up, I don't know if I've said this before, but like their big blow up also had a hand in hand because like one person was doing all the work and the other girl was just like providing the voice on the podcast. I definitely feel like Maya is the Alexis in this situation. I don't even know what the other girls Oh, think. I don't even That's know how. about this. Yeah, so when Caller Daddy got super big, right? And like they they were on barstool and know they were- that. So it's a huge podcast with a blonde girl and a brunette. And they're just like really open and honest and vulgar. And they talk about sex and dating and just like them just navigating their like 20s and like New York, wherever wherever they live. Barstool picked it up, paid them to do that. And then they were renegotiating their contract. But they have a really big following, like super college vibe, like young 20 year old just like should show people like it's it's a big kind of a big deal. It's a big deal. Anyway, the blonde girl, like they both contribute, of course, like with the conversation. But the blonde girl is doing all of the editing, like mm-hmm. all of it. So they got a deal for five hundred thousand dollars each, and the brunette was like, "No, like we, I want more, and like we should get more." And the blonde was like, "Hold up, like it's that that's great, fantastic money. Like why are you saying no to this?" So that's how now they broke up, and it's just the blonde who has it. And, like, renegotiated her contract and was getting paid hella guap to just, like, keep doing her thing. And little Miss Brunette over here just got, like, tossed to the wind because she couldn't be a team player. And it's, like, you're not even contributing to, like, the hard, like, elbow grease of the podcast. And, like, you have the audacity. And, like, her boyfriend was, like, telling her to, like, keep renegotiating and, like, shop it around. Like, it was, like, this whole messy thing. So I watched, like, he and she talked about it because it was everywhere. And I was just, like, I want to know what's happening with these crazy white people. So, yeah. See, anyway, I don't give a fuck about white people. So I know, and I don't you, follow this. And you wouldn't know that. But basically, you're the Alexis of the duo. But I'm doing everything <laughs> to not be the brunette who's like a total idiot who like fucks it up and then. Yeah, but like, here's the them. thing: I would also be smart enough if
0: we ever got picked up by anybody to be like, I will take take money out of both of ours
2: and hire someone to edit. Facts. Or I would let Maya get paid more just because she did the hard work. Like if Maya was still like, well, I still just like to do this and this is like fun. I'd be No, like, okay, great. I would give it. I was like, if you want to pay me that money, you have that kind of money. Then pay someone else to edit out and I will sit here and give you my perspective. And I will just show up and talk and then I will leave. Goodbye. I will thank you every day for it and be the nicest person to you. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Anyway, just talking to you guys. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I did mention to Maya, we might throw out like another special episode your guys' way. We'll try to like come up with some ideas and some content for you guys to keep you guys interested. And yeah, any thoughts to any topics you guys want to hear us talk about? um, I think I've had like one suggestion that I need to go search for in my DMs. But if you have it, if you're interested, you want to hear our perspectives, please let us know. We would love to. Yeah, hit us up engage in are going to talk about.
0: Thanks for tuning in and I guess we'll see you guys once we start back up on season two. Yes ma'am. Adios.